What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here are your top five at five. We begin with stocks in rally mode as the major averages try to claw their way out of the bear market territory. Futures are surging right now. Also, in the U.K., the Bank of England reportedly looking to take new steps to reassure financial markets as its prime minister fights for her political life. Back here in the U.S., mortgage rates continue to climb higher, pushing millions of would-be homebuyers out of the market. Plus, of course, earnings season getting underway just started right now as we wait for the final of the big banks report later on this morning. And Netflix reportedly taking new steps to find different ways to bring more users onto its platform. Asleep is no longer its only competition. It is Tuesday, October the 18th, 2022. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And a good morning to you. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Let's kick off your Tuesday morning with a check on U.S. stock futures. They are in the green this morning across the board. Right now, we see the Dow could open up about 300 points higher. At this point, the Nasdaq and the S&P also solidly in the green. This after a sharp move higher for the major averages yesterday. This saw the Dow gain nearly 2 percent. The S&P and the Nasdaq closing by more than 2.5 percent and 3 percent, respectively. Key earnings reports easing investor fears. While some oversold tech names, they also saw a bounce back. But remember, we still have a long way to go. Ahead of the morning, ahead of the open this morning, the Dow is off more than 18% from its all-time record high. The S&P off more than 23%. The Nasdaq, the hardest hit, remains more than 34% off of its record high. Now it's time to check the bond market, something we've been checking more and more on these mornings. A lot of movement here. Right now, we're seeing the 10-year above that 4% yield right now. Something to watch. It always has an impact on the market, especially those high-growth tech stocks. And again, the two-year note right now at 4.46. Remember, last week, it hit a 15-year high. Also watching the oil market. Crude right now. Uh, slightly higher this morning, actually down a little bit. Watching this, it's been moving this morning a bit. We're seeing WTI down more than half a percent. Brent crude down more than half a percent right now. Um, WTI about $5 a barrel lower than it was just about a week ago. And of course, we got to pay attention to crypto. Remember, we were in the crypto winter. I don't know if we still are as we approach the real winter, at least here on the East Coast. We're seeing Bitcoin right now just below that key 20,000 mark, fractionally lower this morning. Ether and XRP also lower this morning. Cardano, the hardest hit, down a percent and a half. All right, around the world, a mostly higher session over in Asia overnight. That saw Japan, Hong Kong, and the South Korea indexes all gain more than 1%. Trading in Europe, however, just getting underway this morning. We're seeing green across the board right now. The FTSE up more than a half a percent. Uh, the German DAX, however, the, the best performer so far, at least in the U.S. morning, up more than a percent right now. All right, let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. For that, we go to our own Pippa Stevens. Good morning, Pippa. Good morning, Frank. The Biden administration is reportedly planning to sell oil 
from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve as soon as this week. According to Reuters, the sale would market the remaining 14 million barrels from the president's previously announced release from the reserve of 180 million barrels that started in May. That was the largest ever. The move is being seen as a bid to lower fuel prices before next month's midterm elections. And Credit Suisse is reportedly considering a sale of its U.S. asset management business and is getting set to say goodbye to its investment bank unit president ahead of an October 27th strategic review. According to the report, the bank asset management unit is expected to draw interest from private equity, though no final decision has been made. And Amazon Web Services says it plans to invest $5 billion in Thailand over the next 15 years. The investment would include data center construction and purchase of goods and services from regional businesses. Amazon also plans to set up an infrastructure hub in Bangkok just one month after building a cloud data center in the UAE. And China's biggest EV maker, BYD, says third quarter net profit likely more than quadrupled as it looks to extend its lead in the region over Tesla. BYD says strong sales and broader product offerings allow it to significantly reduce costs per vehicle. BYD is 19 percent owned by Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway. Frank. Pippa Stevens. Thanks a lot, Pippa. We'll see you later on this morning. All right, turning our attention to a developing story in the latest in the U.K. financial crisis. The country's new finance minister announcing sweeping changes to his government's tax policy playbook. This is Prime Minister Liz Trust is fighting for her political life. Arabile Goumide joins us now from 10 Downing Street in London. Good morning, Arabile. Yeah, good morning, Frank. So certainly the situation is one where we expect the uh, prime minister to certainly be fighting for her political life. But how much of that will come to fruition this week? Well, questions still being asked. A few members of parliament uh, and a few ministers are certainly inside 10 Downing Street here uh, for a meeting of sorts. Not sure, of course, what that might be about. But yesterday we, of course, did see the chancellor, that's the UK finance minister, uh, speaking about a reversal in the mini budget which was set out on September 23rd, a reversal of some of the measures which includes the basic income cut uh, from 19, uh, to 19%. It will now remain at around 20% or so. Uh, these measures are meant to bring in at least around 36 billion US dollars uh, every year. Plus, the energy price cap, with energy prices having, of course, gone a whole lot higher, that cap has now only been uh, put in place until April next year. It was set to go on for at least two years. That is certainly changing, too. So you can see the sense, then, is to try and bring some stability to the market. You're finding that the pound, as well as the gilts, are somewhat stabilizing now. But this may even be the calm before the storm. We are hearing word that a few MPs, at least five MPs, um, uh, have put in uh, letters of no confidence against the Prime Minister. Whether that will stand the test of time, however, is going to be quite interesting. So indeed, a fight here is certainly on the way by the seams of things. Yeah, really, a lot of developments over there in the UK. I want to ask you about something we're hearing, um, that the Bank of England may be pushing back on the, some of these plans, according to a Financial Times report. 
Yeah, so the Bank of England has actually come out with a uh, full-on statement regarding the, those, uh, the pushing back of those guild sales and saying that that report by the FT is actually inaccurate and they will uh, most likely then be continuing with that. Those guild sales are supposed to be happening at the end of this month, October 31st, of course, having seen them just last week end their intervention into the market where uh, they purchased quite a few uh, of those guilds, uh, particularly at the long end of the spectrum as they look to try and find some stability in the market. Big question marks now as we head into the next central bank meeting is whether a cut uh, or rather a hike of interest rates from around 75 basis points becomes the minimum or could you even see a full percentage point hike in those interest rates? All right, Arabile Gumide, outside 10 Downing Street, we appreciate it. We know you're going to be following this story all day. Let's stick with this breaking news right now. We're going to bring in Ben Emmons. He's the Managing Director of Global Macro Strategy at Medley Global Advisors. Ben, thanks so much for being here. Great to have you here in person. It's great here, Frank. I mean, we've done this show now for two years. It's fantastic to be on the set. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great having you. So we've got to jump right into this news. Uh, the Financial Times report, the Bank of England is pushing back on that F, uh, Financial Times report about its quantitative easing plans. What's your reaction um, and what do you see that, how do you see that impacting not only the UK financial market, but also the global? Yeah, so that they're denying that, that they want to delay the quantitative tightening may not become as a surprise in the sense that tomorrow we'll get CPI data out of UK and that will involve, I think, the turmoil that we've just seen. So, you know, inflation in the UK is out of control and it's rising faster and faster. So the Bank of England is very reluctant. So it will impact our markets because... There's correlation between UK guild yields and our treasury yields. And as we know, as treasury yields then start to rise again, it affects our equity market. So I think that relationship hasn't ended yet. But I do think that the Bank of England is very wary of the instability of the guild market. So it will come back with more measures to try to at least stabilize the market. So is the goal here by the Bank of England uh, pushing back on this FT report? And thank you for correcting me. Quantitative tightening, not easing in this case. <laughs> um, is the idea here to get inflation under control? What's the overall goal? Because obviously inflation obviously spiked after the tax cuts and some other issues over there in the UK. Yeah, that is the primary goal. Um, you know, obviously, they have been uh, not hiking as fast as the Federal Reserve while inflation has run away from them much faster even than what we have experienced. So they're in a kind of a tight spot. And they felt like we cannot really let the government drive this process. We got to control inflation. That's their mandate. So I think that's why it's not surprising that denying this report they are moving forward with selling corporate bonds that has been going on. So they have these three facilities in place that allow for liquidity to the markets. And I think that's what they want to use to try to keep things stable while they're getting on track to hike rates in November and go on with quantitative tightening. It will continue to be a pressure point, Frank. It's not okay. going to be that simple to just simply signal to markets that with liquidity, things are going to be stable. All right, let's turn our attention back to the U.S. markets while we have you here. Yeah. Um, you say we're in a technical bear market, but the moves you're seeing on the VIX are actually setting us up for a potential rally. You believe we could have a near-term rally up to 3,800. That's only a few points from where we are now, but more than 300 points off the new low that we hit earlier this month. Um, what about the VIX is setting us up for this potential rally? So the, what we call the VIX curve is the futures, right? It's inverted, so the VIX rate is now higher than where the futures are. And it tends to be a good catalyst. And people look at this like, okay, volatility is high. If you're getting a bit of a traction on the market, then that relationship, that VIX would normalize and that would you know, stimulate the market as in there's more rally coming. 
we all know there's a tremendous amount of people on the sidelines, lots of cash balances, very negative sentiment. There's a short position in the, in the S&P futures. So it does set us up for a technical bounce. That 3,800 is, is, I think, a very important technical level. If it breaks, which we're not far away from it, yeah, it sets us up for a bit further for rally. And I would coincide with people like Mike Wilson who said, like, you could hit 4,000. It's still a bear market bounce, at least in the downtrend of the, of the bear market. Right. But it is a bounce. I think people will, will probably you know, take, take position in it. All right, before we let you go, you say there are some defensive ways to play this yeah. market. You have two interesting picks, um, very different picks. One of them is uh, Dave & Buster's, I believe, yeah. and the other one's IBM. IBM reports after the bell tomorrow. Give us the, the short elevator pitch for both. Yeah, so, you know, in, in the small cap uh, area, that, that particular name, and not the analyst on it, but I just picked it out of, of like, people covering it. These are companies that are not affected by a strong dollar, not really affected by high, higher rates, and have a very good domestic base. So the small cap area has been somewhat of an uplift for that sector, like as in if you're not affected by the dollar in particular. IBM has been this very conservative, steadfast name in the tech route. And I think it has proven over and over again in each sell-off, it tends to its ground. It obviously had you know, solid earnings. It's not been so affected by other uh, tech down, drawdowns that we've seen. So I think it remains a good name. All right. Well, IBM and the S&P both about 2.5% higher since the start of Q4. We'll have to watch after earnings, Ben. Thank you for your insight. You. All right. When we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, why an affordability crisis could be hitting the U.S. housing market sooner than later. Plus, one analyst predicts Apple could forego a folding iPhone and go one step bigger instead. We will explain and then later, how Netflix hopes to better take on the competition and keep its user base coming back to the platform for more and more. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Look at the futures right now. Solidly in the green across the board at this moment. It looks like the Dow could open up about 250 points higher. The S&P and the NASDAQ both a percent higher in the pre-market. Remember, it still is early. Also, checking, checking mega cap tech names. Looking at names like Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, and Tesla. All of them up more than a percent right now. Uh, as you can see, Tesla doing the best, up almost 2%. Alphabet up a percent and a half. Something to watch, especially with rates climbing above 4%. 
All right, turning our attention back to the housing sector and a continued surge in mortgage rates. The 30-year fixed mortgage jumping to its highest level in roughly 20 years, now hovering right around 7%. The housing market caught in an economic battle of strong job and wage growth, propping up would-be home buyers as they also grapple with lingering inflation, recession worries, and home prices remaining sky high. Ask anybody out there buying. For more, let's bring in Jeff Taylor, founder and managing director at Emphasis Digital Risk. He's also a board member at the Mortgage Bankers Association. Jeff, thanks for being here. Frank, thank you for having me. Great seeing you again. So, Jeff, I'm going to say you're just a bit of a contrarian, because if you watch CNBC or read CNBC.com or any other outlet, really, you hear 7% rates, it's really destroying demand out there, and it's really hard to sell a house, it's hard for people to buy a house. But you're saying that's not really the case, especially when you look more closely at the local level. You have to explain. Absolutely. So when you look at, remember, rates are set by national and global uh, situations. When you look in real estate, it's priced at the neighborhood, street, and the local level. So when you're looking to buy, you have to understand exactly in your neighborhood what's going on. Is price is home price, depreci- uh, price appreciation, is it moving down? Has it stabilized? And you have to figure out exactly what you're looking to do to buy in that neighborhood right now. So for instance, on, if you're looking to get a, a, a house right now and you're a buyer, you could utilize a, a, an arm, which is about 75 basis points below 7%. And potentially at the end of 22, or, I'm sorry, the end of 23 or 24, the Mortgage Bankers Association, we're predicting that the 30-year fixed is going to be around 4.8. So if you think about that, in two years, you could buy the house and you could refinance it at about 2% less compared to where we are today. All right. So I got to say, Jeff, I I think you would say even admit that's a pretty optimistic uh, forecast there. The rates are going to go down 2 percent in the future. Um, One other question. You kind of front run me on this one. When I saw your notes about arms, uh, they're obviously becoming more popular as people look for some relief on rates. Um, Seventy five basis points, a big deal over the life of a loan. Are arms as risky as they once were? Your forecast is for rates to go down. But of course, they could go up. Yeah. So arms, arms are a personal decision. When you, when you take an arm, you, you are betting on a period of time of three, five, or 10 years that when that resets, it's going to be lower than it is right now. And again, historically, when we look at where rates are right now, again, because of the things that happen globally, I, we predict that rates will obviously come back at some point over the course of the next couple of years, one to two percent. I don't view them as risky as they were. And when people got caught up in the financial crisis is they were taking arms, but they also had no equity in their houses. They were doing piggyback loans, 80 percent, 20. So they didn't have the equity that they have in their houses today, which is actually at an all time high, which is 11.5 trillion nationally. All right. So you say there's a playbook for both sellers and for buyers. I want to focus on the buyer's playbook right now. If you're a buyer out there, uh, obviously you should you generally are working with a real estate salesperson, often called a realtor. What are the steps you should take if you're looking to buy in the near term, maybe before the end of 2022? It's a great question. So if I'm looking to buy in the near term, I'm going to work with my realtor. I'm going to work with my loan officer and I'm going to see, number one, what's my affordability? A lot of time in media headlines, we talk about affordability and they use data sets that aren't exactly how loans get uh, get made. So you never got to, number one, point down on that. Number two, when you're speaking with the realtor, you have to understand what's going on in that local market. You a um, There's no longer a, where you're bidding up two, three, four times as it was a year ago. So what are you looking to buy? What can you afford right now? And then what's going on that street level? And that's where you have to partner with your real estate agent to make sure that you're at the right place in a right area that you know price is not going to decline too much over time. 
Jeff Taylor, you are an optimist. Thanks for being here. We appreciate the insight. All right, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange. Rising rates are doing very little to boost banking sector stocks. A closer look at what's at stake coming up. Stay with us. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Look at the futures right now, solidly in the green. Uh, Wall Street looks like it's going to open up much higher this morning, well, significantly higher. The Dow looks like it could open up about 250 points higher. The S&P and the Nasdaq, both a percent higher. Notable, the Nasdaq, a percent and almost a quarter higher, doing the best out of all three indices, even with rates topping 4% on the 10-year. All right, biggest pre-market winners in the Dow right now. We're looking at Salesforce, Johnson & Johnson, Nike, J.P. Morgan Chase, and Microsoft. Salesforce, the best performer, up almost 2%. All right, let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the very latest. Good morning, Philip. Great to see you. Hey, Frank. Good morning. Good to see you. The Russian military has unleashed swarms of kamikaze drones on residential areas in the capital, Kiev. The explosives-laden drones provided by Iran are cheap, deadly, and hard to shoot down. Ukrainian officials are renewing their pleas for aerial defense assistance from the U.S. and NATO. Frigid temperatures are sweeping much of the nation, leaving 70 million under freeze alerts. The Arctic blast will challenge record lows and the bitter cold will be felt far into the south. In the Midwest, parts of Michigan and Wisconsin are already getting an early taste of winter as snow fell on Monday. And Uber Eats is getting the green light for some very special deliveries in Toronto. Customers can now order marijuana through the app. It's a first for Uber Eats, and it'll be a joint venture. The retailer's staff will be making these deliveries rather than the company's drivers. So if they get the munchies, they will have to place a separate order for food. Canadian law will require customers to also prove that they're sober and at least 19 years old. So, Frank, just four years ago, weed was illegal in Canada, and now you can get it delivered right to your door. Uh, Yeah, it's an interesting development up north. Philip Mena, we appreciate it. You got it. All right, straight ahead, more trouble for Intel, this time over the spinoff of its self-driving unit, Mobileye. Plus, why investors should break out the popcorn for Tesla's next earnings conference call. Guess who's back? And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange or Brian Sullivan, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back. Monday's rally set to roll over to the new trading session. Futures pointing to solid gains at the open as investors gear up for another wave of high-profile earnings reports. UK Prime Minister Liz Truss fighting for her political life after the fallout over what she's dubbed her mini-budget mistakes, with the Bank of England looking to further provide relief to battered gilt markets. And another tech titan taking an axe to its headcount as Microsoft joins the growing list of Silicon Valley companies slashing jobs. It is Tuesday, October the 18th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. 
And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Let's get right to the U.S. stock futures on the back of yesterday's sharp moves higher for the major averages. Right now, we're seeing the futures solidly in the green. The Dow looks like it could open up about 250 points higher at the open. The S&P and the Nasdaq both just about a percent higher. We also want to get a check on the bond market, taking a look specifically at the 10-year yield. Right now, we see it's just above 4% right now at 4.029%. Uh, remember, the two-year hit a 15-year high last week. Excuse me, the two-year hit a 15-year high last week. Um, continue to watch bond yields when the 10 years over 4%. That generally has a negative impact on high growth in tech stocks. We also want to hit oil. WTI currently trading right now at about 85 bucks a barrel. Brent crude at 91 bucks a barrel. Both of them a half a percent lower at this point in the morning. Again, something to watch. All right, now to earnings and investors awaiting reports from financials, including Goldman Sachs, State Street, and Truist Financial. This coming after a strong day for that sector that saw the KBE banking ETF surge more than two and a half percent, led by Bank of America, BNY Mellon, and more. Right now, we're seeing. The uh, KBE about a percent and a half higher, just under a percent and a half higher. Still has a long way to go, down more than 11 percent this year. Joining me now, Devin Ryan, Director of Financial Technology Research at JMP Securities, a citizen's company. Devin, thanks so much for joining us. Morning, Frank. So obviously we've had a big week of bank earnings. Um, Goldman Sachs coming up later today. What's the theme that you're seeing when it comes to big bank earnings and what are you expecting from Goldman? Well, yeah, I think the theme we're seeing this quarter probably all year in a really tough backdrop is just that these business models are, are very resilient. And I think much more so than uh, people probably have given them credit for, but also more so than they've been in the past. And so um, what you're seeing through some of the more capital market centric names is that you know investment banking uh, is very weak, uh, particularly after a record year last year. Yet. Um, areas like trading are um, actually picking up some of the slack and, and performing relatively well. And then, um, you know, interest rates are um, you know, clearly creating some uncertainty in the economy. Uh, but um, for banks, their uh, higher interest rates are actually uh, quite a positive thing. So um, you know, I think the, the theme of this earnings season is resiliency, but also the theme of kind of macro uncertainty just continues here. And so um, it, it's just creating a tough place for for stability in the market. And that's been that's been the challenge. We just can't really get um, a, a new trend here after what's been really just a tough year altogether. So, Devin, you just said something that really caught my ear. Um, in general, the thought is that higher rates are a big tailwind for financials, especially for these big banks. Yesterday, the KBE finished up about two and a half percent higher. But so the S&P in general, we just mentioned the KBE about um, 11 percent off of its highs. Why aren't big banks and financials doing better? I think uh, banks are just ultimately a proxy for the economic outlook. And right now, um, there's about as much uncertainty in the economic and kind of macro outlook as, as we've seen since the financial crisis, you know, covering this group for 20 years or so. And so um, that, that's been the challenge that, you know, banks and financials more broadly are just not a defensive sector. And so until we get some more clarity, until that consensus uh, starts to come together around what the market and, and macro is going to look like over the next 12 to 18 months, it's been really tough. The, the other piece, uh, Frank, to your point, is on you know the deposits of these banks. So banks make money um, on the asset side of their balance sheet on you know, loans and securities. Um, but right now, with rates moving so quickly, uh, there's some uncertainty around you know are are some of the customers going to move their deposits to other alternatives where they can generate yield, and so that's creating also a little bit of anxiety. Um, we ultimately think banks will manage through that as they have in, in prior cycles, but. Yeah, this one's a little bit different than what we've seen. And so um, there's there's maybe a little bit of extra anxiety around that as well. 
All right, Devin, we almost have to let you go. One last question, um, something that a lot of people are watching right now. Where do you see consumer and commercial credit at this point? So uh, credit thus far looks very, very good. And that's been, uh, I think, something that, that's helped these stocks as well, that you know, we just didn't get any ball dropping with earnings or shoe dropping, if you will, around um, uh, you know, some, some new scare on credit. You know, I think banks are seeing a little bit um, of uptick in, in cards and um, you know, kind of watching some trends there. But overall, uh, commercial credit remains very strong. And you know, consumers with where employment is, where um, you know, incomes are still um, are, are in a pretty healthy uh, place. So just haven't seen those cracks yet. But that's what, you know, again, that uncertainty over the next 12 to 18 months is what is, you know, I think, holding these stocks back from performing better, uh, given you know, what are actually very good results. All right. One more big bank to go. Uh, Goldman Sachs later today. Devin Ryan, we appreciate your insight. Thank you. Thanks, Frank. Good seeing you. All right. Let's get a check on the morning's top stories. Our Pippa Stevens is back with those. Good morning again, Pippa. Hello again, Frank. Starting with Intel, which is reportedly looking at a lower valuation for the initial public offering of its self-driving car unit. According to The Wall Street Journal, citing insiders, Mobileye was expected to land a roughly $50 billion valuation, but is now expected to fetch under $20 billion and sell a smaller number of shares than originally planned. The journal says by selling fewer shares at a lower price, the company and its advisors are hoping to generate interest that will help push up the value of the shares once they start trading. The paper says Intel is expected to detail the new valuation expectations today. And sticking with tech, Microsoft has confirmed to CNBC it is cutting more jobs after its call for growth to slow. Axios, which reported the layoffs earlier Monday, said the cuts impacted fewer than 1,000 workers. The move coming three months after the company announced a round of layoffs impacting less than 1% of its workers. And the FAA apparently pushing for Boeing to review safety documents for its new model of its 737 MAX jet. According to reports, the agency has been unable to review the company's submissions for the 737 MAX 7 due to missing an incomplete information related to cockpit crew's potential reactions to catastrophic hazards. The apparent move by the FAA comes after it recently said the aircraft was at risk of not being certified by a December deadline set by Congress. Frank. All right. Pippa Stevens, thank you again. All right, turning our attention now to a developing story in the U.K. and the ongoing fiscal crisis fallout. Freshly appointed Treasury Chief Jeremy Hunt saying he is reversing nearly all proposed tax cuts made by Prime Minister Liz Truss and her former finance minister in their so-called mini-budget. This in a bid to stabilize the country's finances after Truss's economic plan triggered market turmoil and forced the central bank to take emergency action. Truss apologizing for her mistakes yesterday in an interview to the BBC, saying she's now focused on the path going forward. Now, I recognize we have made mistakes. I'm sorry uh, for those mistakes, but I fixed the mistakes. I've appointed a new chancellor. Uh, We have restored economic stability and fiscal discipline. And what I now want to do is go on and deliver for the public. All right. Joining us now is Karsten Bredsky, Global Head of Macro at ING Bank. Karsten, thank you for being here. Good morning, Frank. All right. So Liz Truss out with basically an apology, saying that she took the wrong course of action. Jeremy Hunt reversing almost every decision made when she did that so-called mini budget. What does that mean for the U.K. financials in the short term? And does it have an impact on the U.S. and the global financial market? 
Well, what it does for the UK is that the, the growth outlook is clearly going to be uh, revised downwards. Um, it brings back stability. It brings back uh, confidence of financial markets that there is debt sustainability in the UK. But I think what it also shows, and that's the most interesting thing, I think this is the first time after the euro crisis, maybe the first time after Greece, that a new incoming government in Europe had to reverse course on fiscal policy within a couple of weeks. It shows us that fiscal policy is not there to really save the entire economy against higher energy prices and the, um, yeah, and the economic consequence that we're experiencing from the war in Ukraine. Carson, we're having some audio difficulties with you, but just trying to make sure that we, we get your message here. Um, I also want to focus on central banks. Um, you have some issues with some of the hikes that central banks are doing and the impact on the global economy. Um, do you believe that central banks in general are being too aggressive and perhaps even our Fed here in the U.S. is being too aggressive with 275 basis point hikes expected? Well, I think the U.S. is not too aggressive. I think the U.S. is on a, in a different spot right now. But when you look at the European central banks, Bank of England, European central bank, in Europe, the inflation story is really mainly a supply-side-driven story. It is an energy price story. And you would need to see interest rates really going through the roof in order to bring down the demand side. The U.S. is a different story because the U.S. really has almost a textbook-like inflation story where the Fed is rightly so trying to bring down the demand side of the economy. All right, Karsten Bress, we appreciate it. We're having some te technical difficulties, but we really appreciate your insight, and thanks for being here. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the earnings spotlight shining on Netflix as it prepares to roll out its results. But will the streaming giant put a stop to its subscriber woes and provide fresh legs for this beaten-up stock? But first, as we had to break, a check on this morning's big money movers. Shares of Fubo TV surging after the streaming platform hiked its sales forecast for the third quarter. Fubo also announcing it's dropping its sports betting business and reaffirming its outlook for positive cash flow in the next four years. Apple expected to launch an iPad with a folding screen in 2024. This according to the analyst firm CCS Insight, saying the tech giant will be experimenting with foldable technology very soon, starting with the tablet rather than its iPhone. And Elon Musk confirming via tweet he will be joining Tesla's earnings call with analysts after the company reports results after the market closed tomorrow. Musk had said back in July of 2021, he would refrain from joining all Tesla earnings calls, but has since seemed to have changed his mind. Imagine that. Worldwide Exchange, back in a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Stocks are set to extend yesterday's gains. You can see a lot of green on the board right now. We're looking right now at airline stocks. American Airlines up 1%. Best performer Delta Airlines up about a percent and a quarter. I'm looking for a rally ahead of the opening, appearing to be very broad based. As I said, we just checked out the airlines. We also want to look at those beaten down semi stocks. They're getting a big bump this morning. All of them in the green as well. Kind of a turnaround for semi stocks. AMD up more than a percent and a half. NVIDIA up 1.8 percent. Uh, applied materials uh, up over a percent as well. All right. Time now for something random but interesting. And for that, of course, we send it out to our own Brian Sullivan. All right. Thanks, Frank. And good morning. And let us bring back your RBI because something really random but interesting just came out on politics. All right. Don't switch off your TV or radio. We know polarizing politics can be and we try to avoid it as much as we can. But the exception is when the worlds of politics and business and the economy all combine. And they are right now in a big way, maybe the most they have in decades. That is not TV hyperbole. Now, on Monday, a sweeping new survey of likely voters was put out by The New York Times 
The findings were pretty eye-opening and definitely random but interesting. The paper asked likely voters, what is the most important problem facing America today? They had to choose just the one thing they're the most concerned about. And look at this. Jobs and the economy, which includes the stock market, by the way, is the number one concern of more than one in four likely voters that was surveyed. Came in at 26%. Now, inflation, which was sort of oddly given a separate category, which should be part of the economy, but anyway, was a close second with 18% of likely voters saying that was their biggest concern. So those two related issues, which are really kind of the same issue, are the top issue for 44% of likely voters surveyed in that New York Times poll. And not one single issue even came close to those. In fact, the third biggest worry was the state of democracy in America at just 8%. That was followed by both immigration and abortion rights at just 5% each. And if you're wondering, climate change and COVID barely registered at all, with COVID at less than half of 1% of voters, and a number of age groups actually giving it a hash mark, meaning it did not even measure, measure at all among some age groups. Now, we mention those only because their tiny numbers are a little random, given the amount of time and attention they are given in the media and on the Internet, right? Well, anyway, while we like to avoid politics as much as we can and focus on business and the economy, It is clear that right now, ahead of the midterms in less than a month, that those two issues are pretty much one and the same. That survey, pretty random and definitely interesting. Frank. All right. Thanks a lot, Brian. Thanks for that RBI. All right, turning our attention now to Netflix, preparing to roll out its third quarter results after the market closed today. The company looking to reverse two straight quarters of subscriber losses and getting set to field some questions from analysts about its new cheaper ad-supported tier. The Wall Street Journal reports the company is also looking at new ways to get users to stick with the platform longer and even visit more often, including adding a double thumbs up and revamping its Surprise Me feature. For much more on this, let's bring in Alex Kantrowitz, big technology founder and a CNBC contributor. Alex, good morning. Thanks for being here. Good morning. Thanks for having me, Frank. So Alex, let's start off with that, that new ad-supported tier, uh, about a buck less than Hulu, two bucks less than HBO Max. Is that going to make a difference when it comes to adding subscribers and also subscriber retention in your opinion? You might see a little bit of an uptick. I give Netflix that. But I personally think that that ad-supported tier is priced way too high. It is less than Hulu. You know, I admit that. But what Netflix needs to do, if it wants to make a big uh, impact in advertising, it needs to draw the masses. Advertisers want two things, reach and frequency. They want to reach a lot of people and they want to message them frequently with their ads so the message sticks with them. Netflix has this amazing group of people called unreachable by advertisers, people they can't find on traditional TV, print, and radio. And so that's a major opportunity if Netflix wants to make an impact in advertising. But by pricing that just a dollar less than Hulu and a few dollars less than its subscription tier, I don't think they're going to draw enough people. If it was $4.99 a month, I would be excited about it. This $6.99, I don't think it's going to do as much as people are imagining. So, Alex, you just mentioned a four ninety nine. That's what Peacock costs at its ad supported tier. We just showed a graphic. I want to correct myself. Um, the ad supported tier for Netflix three dollars less than HBO Max. So, here's my next question for you. Um, you're saying that they're not differentiating when it comes to price. The price is kind of at a midpoint between some of the other players. What other way can Netflix differentiate and attract people? Because, as we all know, they don't have sports, which seems to be a real peg for sites like Amazon Prime. A lot of people signing up for Amazon Prime just to see Thursday night football. First of all, the best way to attract people is to make amazing content. 
And when Netflix first came out, people were mythologizing it. Oh, it's a technology company. It's using data to understand users and give them content that no one else can. Well, is the content on Netflix today that much better than, you know, in the early days in the House of Cards days? Uh, you know, maybe a little bit, but not in a dramatic way that you would get economies of scale from that data that we thought might happen. So, A, they, you know, they could make better stuff. Um, and that's a taste thing. They need to get the taste right. And number two, like you mentioned, live sports. But it's not just any live sport. You can't go in and do baseball, right? <laughs> Apple TV is doing baseball. People hate that stuff. They, I, and it hasn't really resonated. A playoff baseball game does about half a preseason NFL game in terms of viewership, right? So if Netflix wants to get into live sports, it's got to do something big. It's got to go NFL or even NBA. But there's this temptation to go half, you know, take a half step and test and then say, okay, we'll put more money. But Netflix, if you do this, don't do baseball, do football. <laughs> Alex, man, you're just coming out hardcore with your stance against baseball. In all fairness, I think uh, an older demographic still enjoys a lot of baseball. Maybe that's what Apple TV is looking for. I don't know. I'm, I'm with you. I don't watch a lot of baseball on TV myself. Um, so just going forward, what's next for Netflix? Uh, we saw them do theatrical releases with The Gray Man. That didn't seem to really move the needle. We seen them do just a wide variety of shows trying to appeal to niche audiences. That doesn't seem to move the needle either. What can they do to really move the needle and bring people back to the platform and make Netflix basically uncancelable? You know, I like this idea that they're trying to measure time spent, right? That seems to make a, a lot more sense than, you know, views, right? They would take a, f- a few minutes and count that as a view. Now they're looking, what's sticky? What keeps people on the platform? Some of the other ideas, double thumbs up on a video you like, that might work. But, I mean, if it was such a brilliant idea, other content companies would have done it before. I think the key for Netflix here is that the era of hubris is over. The company used to say that it was competing with sleep. That was ridiculous. It was always competing with other entertainment companies. And I think there is a realization inside the company that that's what's happening today. And its stock has dropped 58, 59 percent on the year. And, and that seems to be right. And I think, you know, with a slower, with a lower market cap, you might have more sustainable, you know, place. Uh, you, ha- you might have a more sustainable place uh, for Netflix. So, you know, it might not all be bad, you know, anticipating that this would be the technology company to change entertainment forever and put everybody else out of business just was never a sustainable or even a fair place, you know, for analysts to expect Netflix to get to. And this might be more manageable if you're if you're an optimist about the company's business. Wow, Alex, it might not all be bad. That's not an optimistic outview for the Netflix earnings. But Alex Kantrowitz, we appreciate your candor and your insight. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. On deck here on Worldwide Exchange, futures pointing to another day of solid gains. Apex Financial's Lee Baker explains why history is suggesting the pullbacks, they may not be over for the markets, not just yet. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange or Brian Sullivan, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange, a very busy day on tap for investors on the economic front. We get industrial production figures at 9 to 15 a.m., followed by the NAHB Home Builders Index at 10 a.m., then a pair of Fed speeches to watch with Rafael Bostrick and Neil Kashkari both speaking this afternoon. And earnings season just rolls on with results from Goldman Sachs, Johnson & Johnson, Lockheed Martin, Netflix, and United Airlines. Also, a number of high-profile interviews exclusively on CNBC today, including the CEOs of Goldman Sachs, Starboard Value, and Adobe, and Bill Gates joining CNBC Live from his Breakthrough Energy Summit and be sure to catch my exclusive conversation with XBO Logistics incoming CEO coming up on Squawk Box at 7.10 a.m. So, again, very busy day ahead. 
All right, market setting up for another day of solid gains on the back of Monday's rally. Futures solidly in the green this morning. Right now, the Dow looks like it could open up about 275 points higher at this point. We're off session highs, however. Check out the S&P futures over the past three hours right now. You're looking at some of that movement. But even with back-to-back gains, your next guest is taking a page from the history books, suggesting we may not be at the bottom just yet. And what's already been a really tough year for the markets, Lee Baker is the owner and president of Apex Financial. Lee, thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me on here. All right, so, Lee, on a day when we're seeing the futures up big, you're coming with a little pessimism, man. Tell me, what are you seeing from historical precedent makes you think that we're headed towards lower lows? You know, so I, I think we're still going to experience some of these swings and ups and downs of this roller coaster ride that we've been on. I, I do not think what we've seen here the past couple of days is the beginning of a, a new bull market. It just isn't there. When we look at the last about 70 odd years, uh, the bear markets that have coincided with a recession, none of those have actually ended, save COVID uh, in, in 2020. None of those have ended before the Fed has stopped raising rates. And so unless you believe that the Fed's done and we're not going to get other uh, rate hikes in the next several months, uh, I I just say this isn't over just yet. So you're saying it's not over just yet. So are we headed towards a recession in 2023 in your mind? And what are the indicators that we're heading towards a recession that you're watching? Because when you look at employment, we don't really see those signs. Yeah, so I, I think we're heading towards a recession. And again, some people will argue that, hey, listen, the Fed is absolutely just going to keep their foot on the gas. Uh, I do believe that they're going to continue to raise interest rates. And I do think that we'll get a recession next year. Uh, now, the argument becomes is, is how deep uh, will that recession be? How long will it last? Hey, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't want to predict that. But I absolutely believe that uh, 2023 we'll see a bit of a recession. Uh, the unemployment number is going to go up. We're, we're going to see that number above three and a half uh, at some point next year. Uh, right now, consumer spending is still good. Uh, underlying uh, areas of the economy are still strong. But I think the Fed's going to do what they think they need to do in order to uh, tamp down some of the demand. All right. So the consensus is we're going to see two more 75 basis point hikes in the next two meetings. Um, you've been talking to your clients, and I, it looks like your clients also believe we're going to see a 50 basis point hike sometime in 2023. So how does that set up your thoughts about portfolios and investing? What are you looking at under this environment with potentially three more rate hikes, 275 basis point, 150 basis point potentially next year? Yeah, so when I look at portfolios and, and speaking about clients that are uh, longer term investors and not necessarily those that are already in retirement because those portfolios are constructed a little bit differently. Uh, but we're looking at areas that look cheap from historic levels. So if you look at uh, small cap value, uh, historically, they're about as cheap as they've been in, in 20 plus years. Uh, so looking at areas like that that say, hey, listen, I'm not going to try to get too cute uh, with exactly timing a bottom. But, you know, something that's uh, as cheap as it's been in 20 years looks like a particularly good opportunity, in addition to the fact that once we come out of this, uh, might expect small caps to lead a little bit. Yeah, as you say this, uh, you know, the Russell 2000 up this morning as well. So before we let you go, I know you have a stock pick. Um, To me, it's a bit counterintuitive, but I'm going to let you take it away because it's in a sector we're just talking about being under pressure from the same rising race that you say might push us into recession. Yeah, so I actually like Dr. Horton. Uh, it's a good company. It's a solid company in the home building market. Uh, but think about it this way. We are still underwater in terms of housing supply. Uh, I sit here and say, listen, I don't think that we're going to have some big correction uh, in housing prices 
Uh, I think housing prices are going to stay elevated. You know, broadly speaking, maybe they come back a percent or two. Uh, but the very reason that the economy is strong, we're talking about a three and a half percent interest rate. Uh, those people that need housing uh, will buy housing. And, and as one of your earlier guests said, you know, in order to get that done, maybe they uh, take a look at an arm. Uh, now, I don't necessarily know that I expect uh, the mortgage rates to come back as far as the, your earlier guest suggested. Uh, but I do think those people that are still employed uh, will do what they need to buy homes. And uh, we've got to uh, continue to increase that housing supply. And I think D.R. Horton will benefit from that. So is that a, a near term play? Or is that a long term play? That's a long term play. All right. All right. Lee Baker, we've got to leave the conversation there. I just had to ask you that last question. Absolutely. Before we go over to Squawk Box, we want to take one last check on the markets right now. Futures right now, again, as we've been saying all morning, solidly in the green. The Dow looks like it could open up almost 300 points higher at the open. The S&P and the Nasdaq both about a percent higher right now. And that's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box coming up next. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.